For those of you who are new with us, um, uh, this is pretty normal. This is par for the course around Hope. A Seinfeld clip, two people singing about spring retreat, that's, that's just par for the course around Hope. It's just kind of like you're wondering to yourself, is what happening what's really happening, or am I, am I fooled here? Because this is just crazy. This is just absurd to see this on a Sunday morning. That's Hope, all right? So just so we're clear about that, for those listening uh, online, what just was shown was a clip about Independent George, Season 7, Episode 8. Uh, George Costanza explains to Jerry Seinfeld about Independent George, Relationship, relationship George. So there you go. So we're, I think we're all caught up to speed now. My name is Cor Shemleski. I am uh, the associate pastor, the only associate pastor. We are in the process of hiring uh, another associate, so be in prayer for us. That hiring team is uh, doing their work, doing great. Uh, very diligent, but do pray for us that we would follow the Spirit's leading in that. Uh, and then the senior pastor is, let's see, he's bonding with geese and killing his son, or no, no, he's killing geese and bonding with his son. He'll be back uh, for the dessert tonight. Uh, his name is Steve Treichler. Great man, started the church 12 years ago with uh, 13 of his friends. All right, I think we're all introductions done. We are in the middle, or the end, of a sermon series called Don't Waste Your Life. For the last nine weeks, and this is week number 10, We've been discussing this idea of not wasting our life, living life to the very maximum. If we were just to put our life on a spectrum from birth to death, and we were at our deathbed looking back on our life, what would we want to be true? What would we want to see so that we could at some level be affirmed in the belief that we didn't waste it? We didn't waste our life. We lived life to the very maximum. We went all out. The old football phrase is, you left it on the field. What, what would that look like for you and for me? And so I want to just shoot you through a couple of the, the pictures, the graphics that we'd have over this. Uh, one of the more uh, notable ones, life is like a cigarette, smoke it to the butt. Or strangle the cat out of life, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what, what does that mean to just... For, for those of you who, are, who have been coming to Hope and, and want to be a part, what does that mean for us? To smoke it to the butt. What does that mean? What does that look like? And we've, we've taken time to look at And I'd, I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard any of these, want to hear them, uh, they're online, go find them. Another one, great one, I thought. Bart Carey, one of our elders, talked about what does it mean to take care of business 9 to 5? What does it mean to not waste your life in your place of work? And for all of these students that are coming to Hope, I think he made it real clear that work is not just about what you get paid for. But that, if that's the season of life that you find in yourself, that's your work. Be faithful to it. Do a great job. Honor God in that work. We talked about what does it mean to seek the welfare of a city, and we're going to have a dessert tonight to talk more about that. How can we as a church, being in this urban community, being in this urban context, seek the welfare of the city, be a blessing to the city? What does that mean for us? What does that look like? I gave a, uh, uh, preached a sermon on what does it mean to financially give? And be a blessing and not waste your life with giving. And I just, I just, I think I hit you right between the eyes. I just said, give. Give here. Give to God. Give to his church. Do it. Uh, we've been very careful about that. And uh, the leadership actually came up with a campaign for hope. Paint the church. Paint the town. Paint the world. Sending monies to uh, urban poor and ministries that reach out to the urban poor. Sending money overseas. Sending money to uh, start churches. Sending money outside of our building to layer this thing with another coat of paint. Um, so all those online, check them out. 
but hopefully to give you a framework if you're newer to Hope. And then uh, this is the last, the last sermon, so we're, we're moving on. But I wanted to start with potential misunderstandings that you could have if you've been here through the course of this sermon series. I just want to hit them right away. Potential misunderstandings you and I could have as you've listened to Steve and Bart and I preach. Number one is, by applying the principles highlighted in this series, so Steve talked about taking risks, we've talked about giving money, we've talked about taking care of business, serving the city. Okay, by applying those principles, I'll experience a non-wasted life or the life of a Christian. It's like, wait, Cord, are you sure you said that right? All right, here's what I mean by that. You just go out and you, I'm going to give. And preacher said give, and it was part of a don't waste your life, and so if I give... That will mean I won't waste my life. It's not true. Or maybe you think that this is, this is what the church has said to do, and so that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not true. And so I just want to be very careful and quick to point out that just doing these things, a lot of people do does this. A lot of people do it. Do you know people that are giving financially? Yes, I do too. Why? Great tax benefit. Uh, what? Well, there's a reason they do that. Whether it makes them feel good, they really believe in a cause, people are given financially. So that doesn't equate with being a Christian or necessarily having a not-wasted life. What does it mean? What do, when we get up here and preach about not wasting your life in these areas, what do we mean by that? Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible, impossible, to please God. So start right there. Okay? When we talk wasted life or non-wasted life, for us in this church, Part of this group, part of this family, we're talking about, number one, it being about faith, belief in God, it being directed towards that, towards Him. And so, wherever you're at this morning, whatever you came in here thinking, believing, uh, I want to encourage you, maybe for the first time, to believe in God and to believe in His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have any, any small inclination, uh, just tiny belief that there might be a God, And he might be creator. And he may have created you with an intent and a purpose. I want to ask you to make that belief right now. Because like the song said, he's more awesome than you know. All right? So I would encourage you, make that decision now if you haven't. Believe in God. Have faith in him. Because without that, it's impossible to please God. All these things that you could do and maybe are doing, without faith, without God being the center of that, the motivating factor in those things, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 1 Peter 2.12 puts it this way. Keep your conduct among those who don't believe in God, just out there in life, where you're going. Keep your conduct among them honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Ultimately, what God wants for you and me in all this, not wasting our life, is to be God-centered, to be God-directed, to glorify God, to honor him. And if that is not your primary overarching motivation, any attempt to try and live a non-wasted life will be fruitless, be pointless. God has to be the center. He has to be the motivating factor for you. And then in your work amongst others, God ultimately says, even as you're doing those things, my hope is that those people would see it and glorify God. Everything in your life pointing, directing towards God. Another potential misunderstanding, that you need to get to a certain stage of life before all these things can happen. Yeah, some of the things that Steve and Cor and Bart are talking about, my stage of life doesn't quite fit in there, and so things will change. 
Uh, my, my kids that I'm staying at home with, they, they will get older, and then I'll get on the business of not wasting my life. Or right now, I'm taking these four, some of you five, six, seven years of school, and then I'll get on the business of not wasting my life after that. My, my contention is that that's a misunderstanding of what we're talking about. I want to encourage you, right now, where you're at, whatever you're doing, whatever place God has you, you can either waste or not waste your life. Hope that becomes clear uh, through the course of our time here. But Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. What does that mean? Days being evil. Never heard that before. How could days possibly be evil? Have you ever said, I'm going to get to this. I'm going to do that tomorrow. We have this belief that these days and weeks and months and years are promised to us and so... I'll get to that, I'll change, I'll, I'll make that decision for Christ, I'll, I'll change that little pattern of behavior in my life, I'll get right, rid of the lying George and the body George at some point, but right now, I'm content to be where I'm at, living the way I'm at. No, be careful how you live, not as unwise but as wise, because those days are fleeting. Any belief that you have more time, it's fleeting. Hebrews 3.13 says this, Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I want, you, I want to encourage you to be encouragers of each other that this is now. The chance to be an influence for Christ is now, wherever you're at, whatever that may look like. I guarantee you, for every person in the room, it's going to look a little bit different. We may have half students, but for each of you students, it's going to look a little bit different because of your personality, because of your major, because of uh, how God's wired you. But don't be under the misguided belief that this is not for you. It's, it's for some other time in your life. And then perhaps the third potential misunderstanding is the verse that we've been using this whole sermon series. I want to read it to you. It's uh, words of Jesus. It says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does that mean? I... I I think I know what that means, but I wanted to study it this week and hopefully bring us to the point where we know what that means because it's a difficult phrase. I don't think we use it very often. Like, I've never found myself actually talking kind of like that. So what does that mean? To give you the context, each there's, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, John is kind of the oddball. He's kind of unique. He, he writes differently and captures different stories. Uh, has his own frame of reference. The other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. They're similar, a lot of similar stories. Mark was uh, historically believed to be written first, and then Matthew and Luke, as they're drawing up their accounts of Jesus' life, they probably have or have seen a copy of Mark. And so what we see in there, though, each of those three Gospels, is before we get to this line of whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my life, his life for my sake will save it. Before we get to those, there's two other accounts that come with it. And so I want to try and give us the context so we can better understand these words of Christ. Beginning in Mark 8, verses 27 and 28, there's, here's where the context of those words stands. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. It's like, wow, that's 
a wide range of potential people that Jesus could be. What's going on here? What, what is going on around the time of, of Jesus that there's so much confusion about who he is? I want to quote from Henry Daniel Ropes. Ropes? Who's, your, who's our French people? R-O-P-S? He's a French guy. Is it Ropes? Uh, Rops? Ro- it's a silent S. It's just Rop. Um, <laughs> French writer and church historian wrote a book, Daily Life in the Time of Jesus. These matters, this whole idea of Jesus and connected to that, this idea of Messiah, this coming one, this Old Testament guy who's coming, or captured, these words captured in the Old Testament, these matters were the center of a vast mass of confused, involved, and even contradictory notions from which there arose few certainties that were acknowledged by all. So like in Jewish thought, there's like somebody's coming and that somebody's going to help us. It could be just an age or it could be, you know, an age in which God's spirit moves powerfully or it could be kind of like, like the prophets of old or it could be someone in that, that identity came to be known as the Messiah, the anointed one. And this Messiah had quite a lot of roles to fulfill. Uh, if you flip to the next one, there's just a lot there that this Messiah was supposed to fulfill. And so people are really confused because one group would over here be saying, you know what, he is a coming king and he's just going to wipe out all this rule from the Romans and it's going to be all good. And then one over here saying, he is a stone of which no one will be able to destroy. And over here they're saying, well, he's going to come and he's going to look kind of like Moses. Remember how Moses delivered? It's going to be more like that. And then others are like, well, there's this suffering servant thing that we haven't really talked about. What about that? And So each of them would kind of have their different expectations. Continuing on in our story from Mark, getting at Jesus. Jesus went on with his disciples, and he says, Who do people say that I am? They list their things, and he asked them, All right, what about you guys? My followers, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. You, we believe you're that guy, that anointed one, that coming one. We believe it's you, Messiah, Christ. Okay? They get it right. So Jesus does what only Jesus would think to do. and just like, all right, don't tell anybody. You got it right, but don't tell anybody. And that's only in the wisdom of God. That's not how, probably how I would, uh, if I were Peter, I'd been like, I got it right. I did it. Um, so he's the Christ. So if you flip to the next one, boom, he's all those things. He's all those things. And he could then tell his disciples, now that they got the title right, I am Jesus, I am the Christ, I am the Messiah, what does he want to tell them next? Because there's a lot, right, that he could start explaining because they finally got it right and because all these other people are like, I don't know, John the Baptist, Elijah, a prophet, I don't know. It's like, all right, you guys got it right. You got the title right. Now what? What is the next teaching that follows it? Continuing on. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what is true about Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah? What is true about him? What is the first thing that he wanted to make clear to his disciples? Suffering, rejection, 
being killed and rising again. Let's be clear about my role as Messiah, as the coming one, the anointed one, Savior, Son of Man, Son of God, all of those things. Let me be clear. Suffering, being rejected, being killed, rising again. And I think this will come to to bear and give light on on the the words that we're kind of trying to understand. What does this mean to, to lose your life and save it? And it's just great. Just so we're clear, Mark records these words, and he said this plainly. It's like, there was no confusion. This, these four points were clear. And this doesn't fit with what Peter was thinking. The Christ should do or be about, and so he just gets it and he says, forget it. That's not going to happen. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're missing it. This is what the mind of God, the plan of God is. And then he adds that whole get behind me Satan thing. Um, and so now what I want to do is this brings us, okay, these two accounts. You are the Christ. All right, you got that right. Here's what that means for me. Suffering, rejection, killing, and being raised again. Then it comes to the teaching for the disciples. For you and I, the, the verse that we set this whole sermon series on, picking it up in verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Perhaps the only thing you heard in all that was me saying the word for. That's okay. We're going to go back through it. But I wanted to get you down to the last line. Because if you take this statement and you say, well, really that's because of this, and then we get all the way to the bottom. Okay, so let's start at the bottom. What does Jesus say at the bottom that he, he, lynch, he connects it all the way back to the top? Number one, in my suffering, in my rejection, in my death, in my rising again, will you be ashamed of me? Will you be ashamed of me? To put it in the context of, uh, I guess, George Costanza is, here's, here's this... George saying, I, I want to hold on to independent George. And I know that that can't happen with relationship George. As soon as Susan walks through this door, his, his uh, fiance or wife or whatever it is at the time, okay, something's got to give here. And for you and I, that's the same case. With faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. some point in our lives, we need to make that decision to say, I'm no longer ashamed of what I hear about Jesus Christ and identifying myself with him. Somewhere, sometime, we got to get to that point of saying, I believe, and I don't care who knows. And that's a hard, for, for many of us, I remember the time when I made that decision in my life, it can be very hard because in doing so, in associating with Jesus Christ in your life and in your web of relationships and 
in the midst of work or school, professors, bosses, extended family, people who've known you your whole life, there could be shame associated with that or embarrassment. Because of all of the things, all the baggage that comes with the name of Jesus Christ. But Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, you're choosing independent George. You're choosing this generation. I'll be ashamed of you. It's like, whoa. That is a tough teaching. Tough teaching of Christ. And Peter, who just got done rebuking him, Jesus then will call and say, are you ashamed of me? So then we take that and we trace it back. Flowing to the thought, for what can a man give in return for his soul? Have you ever thought about that? Ever thought about that question? I hadn't ever stopped and thought about that question until I was reading through this right now. What's, the, what's, what's he insinuating here? What's he saying? What can you give in exchange for the life that God's given you? What can you give him? I think to answer that question, we go back up one more. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What if you could give God the world? What if you could do that in exchange for your soul? You can't, but hypothetical question. What if you could? Still no comparison. Still without comparison. This whole idea of of Jesus creating you and establishing you and giving you life and sustaining you life, and all that, we slap him in the face, say, we're going our own way, and he's the very one who, if he actually did that, if he actually got out of your life, he would, in, in an instant, just cease to exist. He's more awesome than you know, that he, even though we're slapping him in the face, he would still give you breath. He'd still give you life. He'd still uphold you. And the answer to the question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Obviously, it's nothing. No profit in that. There's nothing you can give in return for your soul. There's nothing. There's only one way, through Christ. And then it comes to our verses and brings understanding to our verse. And whoever would save his life, if you're going to go down that road, if you're going to try and save your life, it's fruitless. It's hopeless. You have no chance, no shot. You will lose it. But right now, if you lay down your life, if you lose your life, Jesus Christ will save it. He will save you. So that's number one. If you want to have a non-wasted life, get right with God. For those, many of you in this room, you've done that. So what is next? Go back one more verse. If anyone would come after me, you've made that decision. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. And I'm not going to try and gain the world in exchange for my soul. I can't do it. I recognize that. Okay, so you want to come after Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Why these three things? What do these three things have to do with following God? Denying myself, taking... How does that 
doing that lead to a non-wasted life, to a fruitful life, to abundant life? What is the connection there? The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Philippians 3. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. For us, we don't know what that means, but in Jewish life, that's kind of a big deal. Okay? I'm of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews to sum it up. I'm a stud. I'm kind of a big deal. I have many leather-bound books on mahogany shelves. All right? (laughs) I've never actually seen that movie. I've just heard that quoted. There you go. As to the law, as to the law, a Pharisee. We see Pharisee being, that's not a good thing. No, as to the law, I know it. In and out, forward and back. As to zeal, I persecuted this whole church of Jesus as it was causing an uproar. As to righteousness, under the law, I considered myself blameless. But whatever gain I had, okay, whatever this whole like gaining of the world, and in his Jewish time, he had what that amounts to, and we have our, in, in, in this life, what that may amount to, He said, it's a loss. I willingly lose all of that for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Do you hear the words echoed from Jesus' own words? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again. Paul quotes almost the same words. Share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, this whole life where I could stand up and say, look, all this resume of godliness that I have. He essentially just says, I trash it all. And in here, I just I place everything in Christ. And just like him, I know that with that will come suffering, rejection, death. But my hope is that just, just like that with Jesus, resurrection from the, from the dead. That's his hope. That's his goal. That's his boast. For all of you that aren't theologians, we'll just trade Paul and we'll put in John the Baptist. He's, he's kind of my kind of guy. He must increase, I must decrease. That, in a nutshell, is what I want to encourage you with this morning. Is there anything in you, anything of independent George, anything of independent you or me that needs to die so that we can experience the life that Christ would have for us? So that in our relationship with God, as people come and they see these good deeds and they want to glorify God, but they don't know how to do that because God is invisible and they only see physical. They only see what's in front of them. And they say, why would you go bless the city? What does that mean? What's that all about? Okay? There's two, answers to, there's two ways you can answer that. You can point to this whole body of evidence that you're trying to create to show that you're a good person, a religious person, a spiritual one. Or you can use that opportunity to glorify God and just say, this is, this is what I understand to be true. This is, what my, this is what my faith in God is directing me towards, that he's everything. And that any attempt on my behalf to seek the welfare of a city is for God's glory. Isaiah puts it this way, he says, I want to make plantings of the Lord, oaks of righteousness. I just like, I want to be an oak tree. I don't want to be like a little flower. It's like, 
oaks of righteousness, planted for the display of the Lord's glory. Do you, do you think that way in your mind? Picture, picture where you're at most of your time, in school, in work, in your family, as a husband, as a mom, wherever you're at, a planting for the display of the Lord's glory. And I think as you do that, in doing that, is that non-wasted life, is that abundant life we're talking about? Mark Deaver puts it this way, there's a pervasive concern with church growth, not simply with growing numbers, but with growing members. Churches showing off to other churches, you know. Though many Christian measures, Christians measure other things, the only certain observable sign of growth is a life of increasing holiness rooted in Christian self-denial. This whole Wasted Life, Don't Waste Your Life series, um, hopefully getting us more God-directed, more God-focused as a church, as a people. And I think the next sermon series is setting up for us to then probe inside, internally. It's called Be Killing Sin or Sin Will Be Killing You. Uh, It's going to be a tough series. It's going to be a hard series as we look internally at the sin that can so easily entangle our our, uh, hearts and our minds going to start in a couple weeks after we get back from spring retreat. Um, But in this, as we push into this and as we make the difficult decision to not be identified with all these other things we could identify with, but to identify with the rejection and the suffering and the death and the resurrection of Christ, in doing so, I think, is the key to not wasting your life. So the question is, Are you a kingdom divided against yourself? Like George Cassandra, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And so the beauty for the Christian call is, as you divide that kingdom, as as relationship George comes in, crashes independent George, there's life. He sees it as a bad thing. I see it as this abundant life that Jesus has been pointing us to. I want to invite you to pray with me as we close out this uh, time. Father, there's a lot going on this morning, a lot to be um, have our attention drawn to. Um, I just pray that you would allow these words to echo in our hearts and in our minds. Um, this day, that we'd hold them up for strong consideration. Um, Whatever, God, we are holding on as to our profit, perhaps even good things, that we would count them as a loss compared to the surpassing worth, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, that somehow in our lives we we would have this burden to have Christ increase. That we might decrease. We'd make the decision to decrease this morning. That we'd deny ourselves taking up a cross and following you. God, we can't change the fact that you pardon us. That was your job to do and you did it on the cross. We can't change that. Even if we were to gain the world We couldn't receive that pardon, but God, let's hear the pattern that you've given us to now live. 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works so that others might see and glorify you. Help us to do that, God, wherever we're at, whatever season of life we're in. By your Spirit, come and make that happen. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.